From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. There are countless bureaucratic systems that the average Australian doctor has to navigate, from registration with APRA and the national boards to dealing with the Department of Health or having to straddle working across both Medicare and the state-based hospital system at the same time. But of all the interactions doctors have with the governance of Australia's healthcare system, none, at least in my experience of reporting, have come close to the experience of the doctors who have to face the Professional Services Review. This episode, we are joined by Dr. Anchita Karvankar, a medical doctor turned law graduate, to talk about her experience of challenging the Minister for Health, Greg Hunt, in the federal court recently. Anchita, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Francie. Now, I don't want to jump to the end straight away, but just to recap for those who maybe don't know, you've recently finished basically what has been a four-year battle. It's uh, finally come to come to an end as such, yes. So your case with the federal court was dismissed last week. Yep. But I mean, that journey, those four years, so much has happened. You've graduated law. Yep. You've started the Australian Health Practitioners Advisory Solutions or APAS, which a lot of people might have heard of recently. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a long four, four and a four, nearly five years, to be honest. Um, but I think this is just... This is just literally a beginning of the of the next stage of what we are trying to sort of achieve. Um, the 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 amount of time it has taken has been astronomical because, firstly, we had to you know go through a lot of loops that um, the current doctors who are actually challenging. Um, the professional services review seemed to not have to go through what I had to go through because a couple of years ago the concept of even um, questioning that there is a process issue was quite novice and there was not a lot of support um, and so from my you know imma- sort of immatured level of understanding of law I started the the movement and it grew into what was a phenomenal fight um, we did in March um, and it resulted in what we would call, I actually don't think it's actually a loss or a bad outcome at all. We we knew that this is a very, judicial reviews are extremely hard to um, have a complete, you know, phenomenal win. Um, I think the best part that we've gotten is that we've got a federal court judge um, on paper actually telling us that yes the legislation really has a problem but the current legislation um, dictates the rules and therefore was not able to sort of give um, any doctor for that matter the relief of I guess what we are trying to think would be a fairer system so it's been long. COVID didn't help, <laughs> certainly didn't. Um, and I think the government and the government solicitors really fought hard to try not to get this to a trial. So it took the first 18 months of my life was literally going back and forth trying to get get it to a trial. Um, and then once we got the trial date, COVID happened, so that pushed it. Um, I must acknowledge also the the, f- the amazing amount of people that supported me for the past four and a half, five years, um, starting from, you know, $10 donations from um, patients and colleagues and friends to thousands of dollars that people have, you know, really invested for this particular case. Um, 
big shout out to them and a big thank you to all of them because we've really finally gotten to a point where there's absolute acknowledgement that there is an issue um, and we're using that document now to really push forward to for some meaningful meaningful changes because what we've what we've taken away from it Francine is that literally what it's saying is under the current legislation there isn't a lot of legal recourse that one can um, hope for you know that under the current laws and that there isn't a lot of scope for someone to say that they've been given an unjust process um, and therefore it's given us more assurance of the fact that we need to go forward and try to change it. For a little bit more context around your case, you mm-hmm. basically took this case to the federal court, which unpacked each step of the process that you get under the PSR. Yes. If we go back in time to the moment, you know, almost five years ago now, where you were working as a GP registrar on the Gold Coast and, and you yes. got that first letter, could you just give some insight into what the process actually looks like for a GP or yeah, sure. going through? Sure, sure. I mean, it, it's it's a very scary process for any anybody to go through, let alone a registrar. So you know, it, it's it's a process where you're really profoundly misguided in a sense that you start by thinking it's a very not a therapeutic but an educational process, and anybody that has um, I mean, ninety percent of us are not rotors or deliberately trying to, you know, defraud the system. So most of us are welcome, you know, accountability, and we want to learn from anything that we're told. Um, so you sort of start thinking that it's actually a process where, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing things right, and surely it's not going to end in financial and professional devastation. Um, so. The initial phone calls, you know, and the initial interaction in the PRP stage is quite friendly. Um, And then very quickly you realise that um, the scariest thing that you realise, I think, when you go through the director's interview and then you go through to the committee and then you get your determination is how, number one, you know, how punitive the process is, you know, how ridiculously punitive it is that you are going to be financially you know really really devastated and the other thing is that um the standards that you know i now know very well what standards are applicable for the specific item numbers that i have been prosecuted for but those standards are so um shall I say, unrealistic, I suppose, that if those standards are the standards, I don't think a lot of people will actually meet those standards. And so, you know, and and then to, after that's applied to you, to go back into work again, um, you know, the, the whole concept of Medicare anxiety, you know, that Medicare audit anxiety is very real. And you, every time I go and, you know, try to build the specific item numbers, you you know, you think, you know, you wonder if you're really doing it right. And I, I feel confident doing it because I know the standard that has been applied to me. But then to watch your colleague do something different um, that definitely wouldn't pass the PSR standards that you had, you know, been given is very scary. So I think that that's that was the motivation behind this whole journey because I, I just... I couldn't see my colleagues go through that, what I have. Um, 
it on a personal note it it really it takes a huge toll on you as a as a family you know partner children it takes away a lot yeah as a human being so it's um not a matter of joke it, it is a legal process it's a it's a punitive process um you feel like a criminal the whole way through um luckily i think um i may have had some contribution towards changing the culture of people that are under these investigations after about 5 years it seems like there isn't a lot of people that call the you know people under investigation a rotter or you know belligerent as i had initially been called um so that's nice but still it's it's a very very hard path to take by making your own case so public i know that other doctors that were going through the the PSR as well suddenly felt like they could talk about it. There's a secrecy clause um, in the PSR process, yeah. which I'm hoping that you could talk to people about because a lot of doctors feel a lot of shame going through mm. the PSR process, which is why it often uh, goes unchallenged. You've now challenged it at mm. the highest legal level possible. And that's probably in a lot of ways ex- inspired your work through APAS now. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I mean, we we are we are surprised that the Section 106ZR argument, which is the silencing clause, didn't stand, you know. Um, and although there, you know, according to my solicitors, there is quite a few um, appealable points to this particular judgment. So if I want to go down the appealing point, the next port of call will be a full full federal court bench hearing or the High Court. Now, would I want to do that? I've got 27 days to think about it. Um, probably not at this stage. Um, and that I need to take into consideration my own personal circumstances, my family, my health, um, and finance as well, you know. So, and I also think we have, I think we've done a lot with my case. Whereas, as you say, now we've got a lot of other doctors that are going through this process who are no longer shameful or, you know, feeling you know, bad about going through this process, um, who are coming to the point of, okay, let's challenge it, let's do it properly, let's seek the proper sort of legal advice. So I would rather sort of look at those cases and combine the judgments I've gotten in mind um, and really look at going forward and setting more precedents. Um, so, yeah, that it's it's a hard battle. It's, it's going to, and, and I think people need to realise that these court challenges are not, a merits review you know it's actually it's not about whether the doctor really did rule the system or not that that is done and dusted in the PSR process so you know that's where the committee and the directors and everybody sort of looks at things and determines whether you've done something right or wrong when you get to a court what you're doing is a legal challenge so you're trying to find out whether there has been a error in law and not, in fact, if you're a good doctor or if you've had good notes or not. So I think there's a very big distinction um, to to understand um, as a lot of people sort of feel that, oh, you know, if there's more cases that you go against PSR and if you lose, then it's just proving that doctors are just, you know, weak and the PSR has a lot of power. That That's not necessarily true at all. It's just a matter of really having those, you know, high-level legal expertise combined with the medical and health professional expertise to really understand whether this process is fair, just, proper, legal, and going forward from there. So 
Yeah, it's a, it's a long road, Francine. It's not it's not a it's not a short sprint. So something that you've just spoken about there is the fact that in the challenge that you took to the federal court, they can only really rule on what happened under the PSR process. And I know that you've spoken to me about this before. And when you first started to, in some way, self-defend yourself during the PSR process, there were some errors that you introduced as a doctor and someone training in the law that now, in hindsight, you do look back and you think, oh, what if I had? Oh, absolutely. Like, it's... um. I, I don't, you know, when you when and if you get to speak to people like Julian, the final crew that I've had, I mean, the final crew I had was the dream team, you know, like Rachel, Rachel Delucci, Julian Burnside, Benedict Coyne, David Gardner. I mean, walking in court with those people is like amazing. <laughs> yeah, le- legal wise, like you can't get any better than that. So but the problem was, yeah, and I still remember the first day and a half of the hearing, literally for the three days, a day and a half to two days, was just mopping up their objection to the evidence that we, we had thousands of pages of evidence, Francine. And because of, you know, naively drafted affidavits, technically wrong stuff, technically you know, wrong filed stuff. Like there was so much evidence that had to be disregarded that you just sort of cringe. And you know what, do I regret that? No, because I had to start somewhere. I, I, Francine, I truly believe, you know, a true failure is in, is, is in not trying, you know, that that's an absolute failure. So I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't have never not tried. And I do also believe that success is defined by how you, you know, react and move forward from a disappointment as such. So, you know, learning from this, the cases that we're doing now are great. You know, we're, we're doing um, negotiations and, you know, in, and, and consultations with currently affected doctors that are getting some amazing outcome, you know, or, and some negotiations that are, that are really good for them and we're settling things. So, I think, yeah, I do cringe at times and I, I speak to, you know, David and Julian about this that, damn, you know, it, it would have been nice if we, you know, had that. But, yeah, it's you can't win everything, I guess, in that sense. You know, when you were a registrar replying to this government process, mm. you were probably doing so in a way that, yeah, you thought was educational, but in the same way everything that you were writing and communicating back. Correct. The, big, strong government lawyer on the other side. Were you aware of that? And what would you like other doctors to know from day one of the process now? Oh, look, um, I would hope, I would hope that through modalities like what we're doing today and through the publications that I'm hoping to continue writing, people will be able to understand that there is nothing casual or beautiful or educational about this process. It's it's purely litigious. It's it's a it's a legal process. It's a professional conduct issue process. It it is not a matter of joke. The moment you get that phone call, you need to call your medical defence, and or us, <laughs> and and get the right support and and the right um, guidance from from the get go because, you know, that's that's where the problem is that there's a lot of admission from a from a very innocent point of view you know because one of the most common things Francine I hear from the doctors that contact us now is you know they they just feel gutted 
that they've been contacted by these people and told that they've done something wrong. And, you know, it, it's more than the financial fear or even the professional conduct fear. It's more that, oh my goodness, as a person, maybe I have done something wrong, you know, because we do, I think as, as practitioners, we do hold ourselves quite highly. We're a lot of, you know, a bunch of perfectionists to many degrees and it, it hurts to think. And, you know, Francine, we don't go through, you know, spit and blood and mucus every day to sort of be told that we were just billing wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we don't go to work. I mean, at least I think a lot of people, I would hope, at least I don't go to work thinking, oh, great, you know, I get 30 something dollars for this 15 minutes. You know, it's, you have to have a certain level of pride and a certain level of, I guess, respect towards your profession. And this process really challenges that because it just feels like you've let people down and done all that. But I think you just have to step away from that um, and understand that this is just very much a administrative, it's almost like a tax, it is, it's a, it's a tax audit. Um, and it's about numbers and it's about, you know, is it going to add up and is your paperwork going to add up to that? And if you take it that way, um, I think you can then sort of be a little bit more sane about it and calm about it and then contact the expertise, you know, and, and get that guidance. Dr. Anjita Kamakar, thank you. No problem. Thank you. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.